Welcome back to our Millennial Life Crisis. I'm Monica. And I'm Shelby. And we are here to guide you through life and all its craziness. Trying our best, you know. We want to start off by saying thanks to any of you guys that tuned in to the first episode. Wow, thank you so much. I was listening to it back and uh, my audio was not what's up okay so i just want to say i ordered a better microphone but it's on back order because of the quarantine and everyone wanting to make a podcast so hopefully today's episode i sound better and thank you for bearing with us while i'm technologically challenged and soon monica's audio will sound as good as mine because i'm using the the podcast mic that most podcasters i think use but yeah basically soon that will be good to go okay so This episode of Millennial Life Crisis, we are going to go over Monica's Millennial Life Crisis. So that'll be the first two episodes and then we'll get into more, you know, having guests. Yeah, there's gonna be some good stuff. So don't forget to subscribe, by the way. Subscribe on whatever you're listening to. And thank you for all your reviews. Thank you for those too. All right, so we're gonna get started today with talking about our Millennial Life Crises of the Week. Shelby, how, how, how have you been? Um, so I've been pretty good. I will say it has been hitting me now. I'm running out of ideas for videos that I can make within my house. Mm. I mean, I feel like for a while I've been on a roll and I've been like, yeah, I mean, quarantine sucks, but I'm still able to make it work. But this last week I have been kind of like, this is pretty hard. I'm running out of ideas. And really um, being in my house so much, my crisis is I just have too much stuff i am purging stuff i'm listing stuff on poshmark i've sold things already on facebook marketplace facebook marketplace you you guys this morning shelby this morning facetimed me and she's like hey i'm about to sell this bike to this guy and uh if you don't hear from me in 20 minutes just assume i died not died i said call the cops just i don't know my roommates weren't home but i figured it's probably fine but you know you never know so I mean, it was totally fine. The guy was super nice. And um, yeah, I got 300 bucks for that. So love it. But okay, I have learned that Facebook Marketplace is awesome, you guys. I've listed stuff on there that's so random. This isn't an ad, by the way. No, it's not. It's not an ad. Monica did do a brand deal with Facebook Marketplace on her YouTube channel. So that's how I kind of hopped onto that. Because before I was using OfferUp and OfferUp, less people are on. So everyone, literally everyone has a Facebook. So I listed like this ugly kind of uncomfortable, not ugly, it's cute looking, but it's super uncomfortable. This geometric chair that I didn't want anymore just for like 20 bucks. And I was kind of thinking, should I list this? Like who's really going to want it? And I'm, I'm not kidding, like 50 people messaged me. So wow. Been getting rid of stuff. Do you have anything like um big that you're trying to get rid of that you haven't yet? Um, so there is a day bed in my office and it takes up so much space. I'm debating if I should get rid of it or not because it's nice if you want to come visit, for example, then you have a bed. But it makes my office a lot less functional. So I don't know. I think you should just get rid of it actually right because it's like it's not like you visit here that often it's maybe not just, like you're even maybe going just to like keep the mattress in the garage in a mattress protector oh and anytime i come take it out of the garage put it in that room i could rough it just on a mattress whatever wait that's kind of genius yeah and just get rid of the day bed because yeah you need a whole space yeah that's tough i have that's like half you. of i yeah it's not working anyway so that's 
not really a life crisis, just kind of what I've been up to for the week. How about you? Life crisis or what? Oh, I have a life crisis. Okay. My life crisis <laughs> is dumb and it's going to be annoying because I'm not even going to give you guys any details. Okay. But last night, I almost sent a drunk text message. I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but I've never sent like a stupid drunk text message ever in my life. I've just never been one of those people that like A, blacks out or B, like does something that doesn't really feel like them when they're drinking. Same. And (laughs) I don't know. I just (laughs) was feeling like emotional or something because alcohol just heightens your emotions and it was just stupid. And I yeah, I was writing this message and I was about to send it and I realized I was making all these typos and I thought to myself, this is so dumb. Put down the phone, wait until the morning. And so I fell asleep. I did not send a text and I woke up and looked at my notes and it was so stupid and I didn't feel that way at all once I woke up in the morning and I was just like, thank God I didn't send a drunk text. Wait, what did so the text anyone out say? there? It was so dumb. I'm not getting into it. Well, not on the podcast, but just in general. Like, it wasn't something that was really a big deal. But if I would have sent it, it would have been embarrassing and I would have regretted it for sure. So if you're listening, don't send that drunk text. Okay? Yeah, I don't think I've ever sent a drunk text. I feel like a lot of times if I'm drinking, if I, I feel like I don't really get drunk very often. I'll just get like mm-hmm. buzzed Me neither. or maybe tipsy. But I like accidentally got kind of drunk. It was a lot of fun, though. I do want to say this last week, part of my crisis, I guess, I had been so unmotivated, like just extremely unmotivated, kind of hit rock bottom of feeling distracted, not wanting to do anything. And I think it was because I was just so bored and I wasn't having any fun in my life and I didn't feel fulfilled. And when I don't feel fulfilled in my life, like I'm not motivated to do anything. So I Isn't have that to why say, you got an Airstream? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I have to say, so last night, me and my roommates... We like actually got dressed. They put jeans on. I didn't, but they did. I was impressed. They put jeans on. Um, My roommate and her boyfriend like made this delicious dinner for us all. We were drinking on the deck. It was so fun just listening to music, playing cards, all these things. We had such a fun time that the next day today, I feel so motivated. Like I've been on a roll today and I realized it's because I got my fun fulfillment finally. So good. Yeah, I never really realized this about myself until this week where I'm like, oh, wow, when I'm not motivated, it is because I haven't had fun in a while. And so I got that fun and now I'm so motivated again. So I don't know if you are struggling right now with your motivation and maybe you are feeling unfulfilled. Try. I know we're in quarantine and stuff, but maybe try and get dressed up a little and like make a fun dinner with whoever you're with and have some fun with it. So that was really nice. We had a lot of fun. Wow, I said fun way too many times. I have I have one thing that actually is more of a crisis. Like getting rid of stuff isn't a crisis at all. Honestly, I'm so glad I did that. Getting rid of stuff feels amazing. More of my, uh, this would be not a crisis, but you know, a thing. I want to come home to Seattle so bad. Mm, because should. now it's getting nice. Except it's like bad, but you should. Okay, so I'm just like, if I drove my car, if I just road tripped up and didn't see anyone and I just went by myself and then quarantined in the basement, like it would probably work. But I'm like, is that worth doing? I don't know. Is that safe? Is that OK? I really don't know. So I feel like I am kind of stuck here, but I really, really want to go home. Like it's been so long. I haven't been to Seattle since the holidays. Yeah. And you know, you're actually stuck in the same boat as so many people, I feel like, that want to go home, but they don't know if it's the right move, Mm -hmm. if it's safe, any of that. 
I know. I know some people that have, and it ended up being okay. But yeah, you know, I don't even want to talk about it. Everyone talks about it all the time. Okay, I actually think, yeah, we'll, we'll stop after this. Road tripping is probably the safest way to do it. But road tripping alone is like for two days would kind of be a lot of driving and a, a little like, yeah. I just think what if something happens, you know? Long drives by myself make me really paranoid. Like what if you got a flat tire mm-hmm. and like a tow truck came and the guy was really creepy. There's like horror stories about that. And then you got murdered. What? Like, that's where my mind, I actually get very anxious thinking about doing like a road trip by myself like a couple summers ago i would go up to canada by myself i'd go there and back and it was cool but i would always get so anxious while i was in the car it was like this weird feeling of freedom and like it's really fun driving by yourself but also this adrenaline of like i'm by myself and if anything bad happened how would i handle it yeah oh my god that's like what traveling alone is like i went on a hike by myself last week and it was this hike where there was no one on the trail i saw two other people the entire time and at one point this bee was harassing me and i've never been stung by a bee and so i my mind kind of went like oh what if i'm allergic and this is the end for me yeah you've never been stung by a bee that is so crazy to me it's just kind of scary safety wise doing stuff alone like that although you're probably fine but yeah that's kind of my crisis i really do want to come home but i don't know if it makes sense i don't know well i guess we'll figure that one out i would love for you to come home but the whole driving by yourself thing is a bit a little bit scary or staying in a hotel seems a little more sketchy than an airbnb but staying in an airbnb alone kind of freaks me out it is kind of weird i've always thought about airbnbs like the owners just have the keys yeah what if the owner was a creepy person that like just got in i don't know it's creepy but i ordered these like door jam things Ooh, um, i'm gonna order on them amazon right now they're really cool we should have them linked in the description and <laughs> yeah you have them like for traveling and you can jam the door with this little device it's really small it could like fit in your pocket even and then you're safe so door jam it had really good reviews too it even had this review from this lady she lived in this apartment complex and these people were like trying to get in and they were saying that they were repair people it was really sketchy and then she was like get out because she was home and then she ordered those door jams and put them on the door and a couple days later one of the guys tried to come back but he couldn't open the door so i'm just saying you know Okay, I'm buying Be one. Be smart. <sighs> Just trying to be safe. I feel like it's a good thing to have. I went on a spree of ordering a bunch of like, I got a stun gun, pepper spray, all this stuff after I uploaded that video about the 50-year-old that was asking me on a date. So I was paranoid and ordered all this Ooh, stuff. Pepper spray. I'm going to get some of that too. Okay, yeah, so. you know, why not have some pepper spray? On to. My millennial life crisis. Yes. Let's get into it. Okay. <laughs> Real quick break for a second to talk about a very cool product I've been trying out recently. I don't know about you guys, but I am terrible at sleeping, especially lately with everything going on. I feel like my sleep has just not really been that great. Enter Hatch Restore. Hatch Restore combines a sound machine, sunrise alarm, smart light, meditation, and an alarm clock all into one easy to use device. You just plug it in, you download the free Hatch Sleep app, 
Then you follow the on-screen instructions to set up and personalize your sleep routine to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up gently because no one likes a really aggressive alarm clock, right? What's really cool about it is it's meant to help you fall asleep and stay asleep. I have this issue where I'll wake up a few times throughout the night. It's very annoying and then I don't feel so great the next day. It's proven to help you sleep and wake up better. How you wake up, I think is so important. I think we've all been there where we've had a really intense alarm clock wake us up and then our first hour of the day is just thrown off because you went into fight or flight like first thing in the morning. So that's what I really love about the Hatchery store. It has a sunrise alarm clock so it gently starts to brighten up your room and it has a more gentle alarm. So you're going to wake up feeling more refreshed. It has easy touch control, a dimmable digital clock, volume and brightness buttons, and more. Visit hatch.co to learn more and use code MLC10 to get $10 off of a Hatchery store today. That's hatch.co, not .com, .co, like .co, and use code MLC10 to get $10 off today. So I'm going to be interviewing you kind of the way that you interviewed me. Okay. Okay. So Monica, when did you first start to feel like you were heading into a millennial life crisis? So picture this. 21-year-old Monica is living in Los Angeles, California, the place that she had always dreamed of living. She's living with her wonderful twin sister. She's making YouTube videos. She's got friends. She's got a cool apartment. She's making like six figures a year. She sounds like she should be really freaking happy with her life. But guess what? She is not happy with her life at all. And I think that was the scariest part is on the outside, things looked great. And I was like achieving these things I had always wanted. And then suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, this is not the person that I want to be. I'm not doing what I want to do. I don't think I'm living where I want to live. I also felt emotionally a bit immature. I, I felt insecure by that. I felt insecure. That's an interesting realization. Yeah. Like I felt super insecure by having not gone to college and like interacted with people as much. Like honestly, I had never been in a relationship or any of these things and it made me feel like really not good about myself. It made me feel like less of a human than other people. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, and like LA kind of makes you feel like that too sometimes. And that is when I realized I was going through what I coined the term as millennial life crisis. Um, basically, I was going on a walk one day. Wait, did we talk about this in the first yeah, episode? Yeah, we did. So you started vlogging your millennial life crisis. Like you fully committed to this crisis. I did. Yes, I did. And as we talked about in yours, it felt like I was the only one going through anything wrong. And the biggest factor I was trying to get over was this feeling of really just not being happy with making YouTube videos. I had not been happy with making YouTube videos for a while. I think this happens to a lot of YouTubers. Basically, you know, I got stuck in a pattern of making videos that gets views, but it wasn't about stuff that I like. In fact, I never really felt like I had a relationship with my subscribers. I just felt like I made these little sketch type videos and I was really being someone that I wasn't. I, I would make my voice all like, hey guys, what's up? Welcome back. And it just wasn't me. So I felt so detached from YouTube and the comments and things. Like it never felt that fulfilling because I wasn't actually being myself. I was like being kind of like this character that mm -hmm. I thought people wanted me to be because that's what everyone was doing on YouTube like we talked about yeah yeah and I got so fed up with it I hit a ceiling where I was like I can't keep going on like this 
like making these back to school videos and DIY videos. And this isn't what I want to do. And I came to LA to become a director and I'm, I'm not doing that at all. Like, what am I doing here? And so, yeah, I just really went into full on millennial life crisis. And I have always had a hard time, like still to this day, I have a hard time feeling like I'm not living up to my full potential. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something we all maybe feel. Yeah. So even now. Yeah. And I also have always been someone that stresses a lot about the future. When I was 13 years old, I was stressing about what would 23-year-old me need. I literally, when I was 13, days would go by where I would ask myself, what did you do today that is going to help future Monica 10 years from now? Which is weird. As a 13-year-old, it's weird. Usually, you're just riding your bike or whatever. But I was stressing about like, how am I going to make enough money to move to Los Angeles? And I mean, it was a it was a good stress, I guess, because it did help me realize my dreams. But it's just kind of something about me that sometimes makes my life not as happy, you know? So I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing. And I felt like I wasn't reaching my full potential. And to me, what would help me reach my full potential is maybe getting a job that isn't making YouTube videos. But it was a super scary thought because I had never had like a real job before and spoiler alert I still never have had like a quote-unquote real job where you go into work and have a boss but I really wanted to have like a boss or something like that because it pushes you to do better work and I was just afraid that I wasn't living up to my potential and I feel like when we were Shelby when we were in film school it felt like we had that so you you know we finished school so we're a a year or two we hadn't been taking any classes and you still wanted that external motivation a little bit someone to push you or motivate you yeah to do like just something great and i i hated this idea of like with youtube being this one-man band basically you can only be so good when you're not working with a team of people it's impressive i feel like the stuff that we can do by ourselves but if you had like a crew of 10 people you could make a movie you know yeah I mean, that's kind of a small crew for a movie, but you get what I'm saying. I wanted to be a part of like a team, a crew, something that was a part of a bigger picture of some sort, basically. Yeah. And so I started thinking about just the things that I really love. And I did really kind of want to move back to Seattle. And that was something that I had felt for probably like a year, but I did feel really guilty moving. And what would you do, basically? Yeah. And so I still lived in LA for like a whole extra year that I wasn't really feeling it. And I slowly just started to like fly to Seattle all the time. I would go seriously on such a whim. We lived in this apartment kind of close to LAX. And there was a couple times where I was going back and forth so much. And it was this one summer or something where flights were really cheap for some reason this one mo- moment Which in time. Is you rare. Feel like, I feel like in Seattle, yeah. The summer in Seattle, they get kind of expensive. Yeah. Okay. This might not have been this. No, it was going into the summer. Yeah, it was probably going was. into the summer of 2016, I believe, because that's when I started the vlog channel. Um, I just started going back and forth a bunch. Flights were super cheap. I would seriously book a flight. Actually, I think the shortest moments notice that I did, I booked a flight that was departing in like three hours, and Whoa. I just booked it. I was sitting in my apartment. I didn't at that point. I didn't even pack anything. I just brought my backpack which is a really funny feeling to go on a flight without a suitcase or anything like that Mm -hmm. I just had so much stuff at mom and dad's house I was like oh I have enough stuff I I think I even had a toothbrush there or something like that yeah and so 
I was going back and forth so much, realizing I just had this pull to Seattle and that's where I was meant to be. I'm so much happier. But that was another thing that was so scary being like, but I thought LA was supposed to be it for me. It was what I dreamed of all my life. Really, Seattle? That was never in the picture for me. So now what? Mm -hmm. I had to, you know, go with my intuition and be like, this feels right. I feel at peace here. That's the thing people ask me all the time. How do you know you should move somewhere? Well, when you go there, do you feel at peace? Okay. So one of these days I was talking on the phone with our one of our really good friends, Kirsten. We went to high school with her and everything like that. We in high school loved Mariners baseball, the Seattle Mariners. RIP to baseball right now. No one can play. And out of curiosity, I would go on their website and see if they needed video production interns or something like that. And in the past, I think I'd seen it one time. And then I was just homesick in LA talking to Kirsten on the phone and I was joking around about going on the Mariners website. So I went on the website and went to careers and I actually saw the video production internship was opened up again. And the crazy thing was it was the last day to apply and I think it was like four o'clock in the afternoon and they were about to close it at five o'clock. And I was like, Kirsten, should I just apply? Like I kind of have a resume from this one class we did where we had to make resumes and I could make a cover letter in less than an hour. Right. She was like, yeah, do it and I was like this is weird this just feels meant to be how did I stumble upon this when there's only an hour left yeah this opportunity doesn't come up very often and so I applied and then I kind of just forgot about it for like a month and then one day I got a phone call out of the blue from the Seattle Mariners and he wanted to do a phone interview then I did the phone interview and then they wanted me to come in for an in-person interview and I just couldn't believe it because I'm pretty sure you know a major league baseball team they get a lot of inquiries and a lot of applications and stuff and I just couldn't even believe I was actually getting an interview like that was good enough for me and I was really excited because I felt like to move back to Seattle I needed a good reason and this would have given me that reason so I was super eager for this and it really felt like to me oh my gosh this will give me that reason and I feel like this is right and so I flew to Seattle I did the interview it was really cool um dad was really excited he dropped me off and was like lingering around it was really embarrassing I was like dad (laughs) leave he wouldn't leave the guy met me like outside near the home plate area and I think like dad was still there and I was like dad I'm gonna look like I'm in high school like yeah if someone showed up for like an internship interview and they're honestly just like him dropping you off even is kind of weird yeah I know I I was like I can really drive myself, but he, he just wanted to, which was really nice. But it was also like, they okay, probably like professionally, thought that you didn't have a license or something. For real. Yeah. 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 Which would make you not get a job. Yeah. 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 And so I did the interview and it, it was really cool. I went into the Ichiro boardroom or something like that, or not like a boardroom, but it was just like a room and it was just cool being in there in the front office. No one really gets the opportunity to go there. So we're doing this interview. He's asking me these questions. It went really well. He took me on a little bit of a tour. He actually took me down on the field. It felt like being in a movie. It felt like being in Moneyball when the guy is doing the interview and you go down on the field. No one's there. It's just us two. The guy was super nice and I was super excited about it. I thought it went really well. I went home and my spirits were high because I'd never done an interview. I, I didn't know what it was like. So a couple weeks go by and I hadn't I hadn't heard back, even though they told me that I would hear back. And then like opening day came and I was like, okay, this is weird. But I still felt like I kind of had a chance. It was kind of messed up. I felt like they were stringing me along. They should have just wow. told me earlier. They're but, totally leading you on. Right? Leading me on so rude. Um, 
they just ghosted me. No, I'm kidding. They did eventually call and like say they went with a different candidate, but it was like three weeks into the season or something ridiculous. I'm like, okay, obviously you did whatever. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm not a top priority, so it makes sense. But it was sad. I was really sad because I thought that would give me a reason to move to Seattle. And after that, I just kind of sat in my room and was like, well, now I have to stay here. And, you know, I thought I dreamed this future for myself and it just wasn't happening. So you wanted a reason to move. Like you really craved a purpose to be there. Yeah, that all happened in March and April timing wise. And then after that, I kind of was still going back and forth from Seattle. And then on one of the trips I just usually I'd buy round trip tickets and then one of these trips I packed a little bigger of a suitcase than usual and I bought a one-way ticket and I just kind of never went back and that's how it happened that is how I moved back to Seattle it was the beginning of the summer I was at my parents house and I was looking on Facebook housing groups Facebook's just so the real MVP for us and <laughs> love Facebook it's a great way to find living honestly Facebook that's how you found groups. your current roommates right yeah yeah no, it's so good and it sounds like and a good situation yeah yeah and so I wanted to try out just living in Seattle and so doing it with a sublet is a great way to do that and since it was the summer there was a lot of summer sublets available in the University of Washington area Mm -hmm. so I still had my apartment in LA though but someone wanted to sublet my room in LA so I had that going so I could pay for a room in Seattle and like feel okay about that that was kind of like my little way of dipping my toes in the water of Seattle and seeing if I was gonna like it so I was like whatever I'm just gonna have this fun summer and honestly it was kind of crazy I literally rented a room in a sorority living out house so a live out is like where a bunch of girls will live in a house and they all are affiliated with one sorority but it's not the actual sorority house and it was this house that had like 10 rooms in it it was probably from the 1800s it was so old it was cute it had some character but the thing was like nasty it just smelled weird but there was something about it that was so charming to me because it felt like being in college and we never really got that college experience and that is something I had always craved I don't know about you Shelby but it was something I was always trying to get like we had friends that went to Chapman University did it's like we didn't get that yeah and so when we had friends that went to Chapman we would hang out with them and kind of go to college parties and like it was kind of fun and then I felt a part of that experience for a little bit and then we had a friend Adrian that went to LMU And we kind of hung out around there a little bit. But it never felt like really, you're always still an outsider. You'd be at the parties and it would feel kind of cool, like being in a movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you still felt like an outsider because you didn't know all the people. Yeah, it's like very different. Yeah, it's just different. And so I still felt unfulfilled by that as well. And I never had a boyfriend. I never talked to boys at all. I don't think I'd ever even been on a date before. Okay, like any of that kind of thing. Yeah. And... I needed to get out of my comfort zone. So I rented a room in this house. There was like seven other girls that I did not know living in the house. I actually did know one girl from middle school, but we didn't really hang out very much then. And I didn't know what to expect, but I thought I was just kind of gonna go on on my own, like live in this room, film, be in close proximity to the city and just crash there. I didn't expect to make friends with everyone in that house, but that's what happened. It was actually the coolest experience. I made friends with this group of girl. They're real girl, a group of girl, (laughs) this group of girl. No, this group of girls that were really tight knit and had like a great relationship with each other. We had so much fun that summer. We partied. They kind of saved me from how I was feeling really sad over like 
this whole heartbreak thing you guys know that story yeah and well that i feel like was that at all a part of you wanting to move also because that whole thing no okay i wouldn't say that i i wasn't trying to move to like hang out with that person or anything but here's what i'll say that situation i was friends with this guy who's like from seattle and we would like hang out in the city the summer before that and i never really realized how cool seattle could be but he actually grew up in the city and when i'd hang out it just felt like a whole different city to me he just showed me places i hadn't realized really it was like i fell in love with the city that summer and it's kind of thanks to him yeah that did help me realize i liked seattle yes but I wasn't moving back that summer to hang out with him or anything like that. But you did end up hanging out with him a lot that summer, right? A little bit in the beginning. But then I was like, I can't be your friend. Yeah. Then, so it was it was around that timeline. So you moved back, you guys hung out for a bit. Then a few months in, yeah. near the end of the summer, it was like, nope, you guys can't be friends anymore. Yeah. So a lot happened that summer. I was like so insecure with myself, I feel like. But, I, you know, you're totally past it now. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm totally past it now, but it was such a big risk for you to, even though, yeah, you were moving home, kind of, it's not like you were moving home and moving with our parents, you were moving into this whole other house, and we had lived in LA for so long, so it felt like, yeah, I mean, you could have moved back and not liked it, you know, so it was a risk, it was a risk to it apply was totally to the Mariners, risk. but it paid off, like, you made a bunch of friends, you put yourself out there, you did the whole thing, and it was really good for you. It's really scary to take a risk, but, you know, when you're feeling unhappy in your life, the only way to fix that is to take some sort of risk. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck Mm -hmm. in that feeling. So yeah, that's what finally pushed me to take a risk. It also kind of didn't feel scary because I felt like I could try it out and then I could like go back to my life. Like I had that luxury, you know, I still had that apartment Uh there. I was just subletting. It was nothing permanent if I didn't want it to be. So I really had this luxury of just being like, okay, I'm just going to try it. And if I don't like it, I can go back. Oh, I didn't even It'd be think scarier. That. That, that is kind of rare. Like, I feel like that d- isn't usually the case. But yeah. Yeah. But you know, like if you can do subletting and just try something out, I would highly recommend it. Subletting is great. Versus signing a lease at an apartment is the other option I could have done. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think of like Brooke Michio. She's talked about in her vlogs how she signed a lease for an apartment in Boston. And I don't think she's been fully happy there. And so I think she's going to break the lease or stay or something but either way she's like in this situation that man that sucks you're kind of tied to that but that's not what she ended up wanting or okay one thing I think of is Natalie Barbu she actually lived in this office room that I'm recording in for a month two summers ago she kind of was like trying oh yeah she tried out LA so she she did this Airbnb then she sublet this room because she didn't really like the Airbnb and you know she tried out LA and realized that she loves New York you know, but she gave it a shot. But subleasing was a great way to do it. Didn't Morgan sublease my room also? Yeah, and Janine subleased my room. Like subleasing is a very good way to test a place out. And it was like when they wanted to figure out if they liked LA. So really, we were all just helping each other out with these subleases. Yeah, love a good sublease situation. So then once the summer ended, I felt like I had found myself so much more. I had experienced more and I was so happy 
personally. And all along the way, I had continued making these vlogs that I called Millennial Life Crisis. What I don't think I've really told people about when I very first started making these vlog videos was I did not expect it to become anything. I made my first vlog. I'm pretty sure I was on my way to go to Seattle to interview with the Mariners. On YouTube, I was so used to feeling success from like one little one-off video. Yeah. But it'd always be these ideas that, you know, they'd be like expectation versus reality or something I didn't make up, you know? Right. So... I put up this vlog. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be myself. I'm just going to be chill. I'm going to be open and honest and raw. And it was an outlet for me. It was like, I've never been to therapy, but like vlogging, I will just turn on a camera and talk to the camera and not upload a clip. And it's like therapy for me. Or sometimes, as you all know, I will upload the clip. <laughs> You're very and, public uh, I'll be bawling my eyes out and it'll get a million views. And it's not that cute. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, you did But yeah, I am not afraid to just be myself as my vlogs have taught me. So I was so surprised though when I uploaded this first vlog, it actually got like a lot of views and it got a lot of nice feedback from people. And for once in my life, I actually cared about what the comments said because it was, you know, connecting to the real me. And so I started to feel like this sense of community on YouTube and I started to really feel this fulfillment from just doing these vlogs. It was so much fun. It was being me. It was helping inspire other people too. I didn't realize other people, yeah, were connecting with this feeling of not knowing what they're doing with their life at all mm -hmm. or going through heartbreak or like anything like that I didn't think anyone I didn't think it was important you know I didn't think my problems mattered or anything like that so throughout this time of finding myself I was vlogging along the way and that was really helping me feel professionally like video wise like I had a purpose too vlogging is quite a grind like you're filming all day and then you're editing and the editing for me would take like at least four hours per video I'd say that's one thing that I want to point out that people probably don't realize is how dedicated you are to your editing sometimes like you would be editing when we would all be like okay, Monica, like, let's go, let's go do something, whatever. Yeah. We'd be like chilling. You'd be I like, would, no, I have to edit. I would skip out on like social events and things. We would have people over at our parents' house, like if it was the summer and we'd all be like making a fire or something like that. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if you're editing or you had to pause, like if I were all on a hike to get the shot. And like, I would feel myself being like, I don't want to take myself out of the moment. This is annoying. But you were like obsessed, like very, very dedicated to your vlogs. Yeah. I don't think people realize just how much. Yeah, and how much time it took. Mm -hmm. And I'm not so much like that anymore, but it Thank taught God, me honestly. Like, all these hours of editing. Yeah, it's not a sustainable, happy way to live a life, but it's a lot. It, it was always fulfilling, like putting up those videos. So I felt very good about it. And it's fun having the memories now. But this editing style that I kind of came up with, I kind of took it from looking at reality TV and being like, they put in establishing shots and I find that interesting. So I'm going to add that to mine and I'm going to add music that sounds conflictive and I'm going to try and, you know, add a story. And I had this motto of like, you can make even the most boring thing interesting if you try, which is a great motto to have. That is so true. I would challenge myself. Like one time I made a vlog where I was like, I'm going to make a storyline out of needing a new mug and no, I'm going to go to Target and I'm going to talk about what makes a mug the most perfect mug. Wait, this would be such a good video challenge. Like take the most boring topic and make it interesting. Yeah. So that's what I would keep in mind with myself. And so, yeah, I would do that. I'd take a bunch of shots, a bunch of editing, and all these hours of editing started to add up and I started to get a lot better at what I do. I also decided to get a new camera that summer because me and Shelby shared a camera, but she wanted to keep it in California and I had to get a new camera. 
And that felt like another risk for me because I was like, should I get the same camera we've always had that I feel comfortable using because I know the controls, Yeah. but I feel like I've hit a ceiling with this and I know there's better quality stuff out there now, but I'm afraid to learn it. Or should I, yeah, should I go and try and learn something new? And that was really scary to me to spend thousands of dollars on something and like not know how to use it. But I also, I didn't want to spend thousands of dollars on something that I knew I had already had before. It just like wasn't fun. Yeah. So I took a risk and I got a new camera. And that new camera, that risk paid off too because that camera taught me so many different things. It made me a better filmmaker. It had so many better features like my videos just instantly got better and that made me even more excited too and it's the gh5 and i still shoot with the gh5 to this day i love that camera i'm obsessed i can't imagine if i still had the camera it is such an underrated camera and i kind of like it that way because not everyone has that look but i'm Mm -hmm. so glad you discover it because once i tried that out i was like wait this is amazing. Yeah. And with that, once again, it was like subletting. I actually, I went into Glazer's camera in Seattle and I walked in and at the time, Sony, everyone talked about Sony cameras and Sony cameras are great. And so I walked in there and I said to the guy, I think I want a Sony camera. And he was like, why is that? And I was like, for video. And he was like asking me what kind of video I do. And he said, no, you don't. You want the gh5 and i was really annoyed with him i was like why is this guy telling me what i want i know what i want okay and so he brings over the gh5 and he's like just try it like you can actually rent it down the street from our rental services and if you like it and you end up buying it then the rental just goes toward the cost of your purchase so it's like the rental's free in a way that's cool and so i was like "Ooh, okay yeah that's a cool concept i'm gonna rent this camera i'm gonna give this thing a try and sure enough i freaking love that camera that guy was so smart take his advice and go to Glazer's camera. They're very helpful there. Very nice. And it's good to shop small within your community more. Don't buy your cameras on Amazon, okay? Buy them from your local places because it's the same price, but then you're helping them instead of Mr. Soon-to-be trillionaire Jeff Bezos, okay? Mm -hmm. So that was another thing. Those vlogs were really my journey into becoming more confident with the idea of being a filmmaker and starting to make documentary-style videos, which is ultimately the same thing that I feel like you've done, Shelby. Yeah, and so that made me happy too because then it's like I found that love of filmmaking again. Mm -hmm. It gave me that realization and that answer where I was like, oh, I don't need that job with the Mariners being an intern. I should still do video because that's another thing I was fully questioning. I was like, should I even make videos anymore? I don't even like it. I don't even like the process of making videos. That wasn't true. I just didn't like the content that I was making. Yeah. But I looked at marketing jobs and things like that as well because I thought, wow, maybe I just don't even like this thing that I thought I was supposed to love too. But that really wasn't it. I took some time off to think to myself, what in the world else would I be good at and would enjoy? And every time I liked video better than the option that I thought of. So I realized, wow, making videos really is such a freaking awesome thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to stick with that. And so then it was just like this journey that kind of, yeah, by the end of the summer came full circle of being like, oh, wow, I really like the stuff that I'm doing. And I feel more confident in making different styles of videos now. And I'm here in Seattle now, and I'm happier, and I had made friends, I had, you know, done stupid, silly college type things, and felt like I had gotten that out of my system a little bit, and I had gotten over that guy, and yeah, I just became so much happier, and felt like I had found my place in life so much more. Um, My place being in Seattle, my place making vlog style videos and more documentary style videos and feeling confident with it. Yeah, just being more secure with myself, more confident with myself and interacting with other people. 
And it all had to come from feeling this rock bottom of being stuck, of not knowing who I am, really questioning a lot of things, and then taking some risks and changing it to become that much happier person that I am today. And that, my friends, was my millennial life crisis. Drops mic. <laughs> Drops mic. <laughs> that was me dropping the mic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so funny. Okay, not really. But yeah, so that was like my big defining millennial life crisis of kind of mm -hmm. like growing up and stuff. How do you feel about the videos and the content that you're making right now? I do feel, I will say like a lot better, but I'm still not fully satisfied. And I think that's where I'm still at with my journey. And I think, you know, we're never done growing and we're never fully gonna be like totally happy with ourselves. And we're always working on ourselves and being better and all these things. For me, the thing that still bothers me is feeling like I'm not living up to my true potential and feeling like what I'm doing right now, I don't know if it's what I'm going to be doing 10 years from now and I want to be contributing to something bigger for myself and I haven't fully found that yet but I think I'm getting there and I think it's still in the video realm. It's like I need to take a bigger risk and that's my next crisis basically and so I mean for now while we're quarantined that's why I I bought an Airstream. I wanted to take a risk on a project. And so that's what it was. But I really know truly in my heart, in the back of my mind, my dream that I've still been afraid to do is do something like make a short film or make a bigger project, like a documentary or something like that. Yeah, I think a documentary is the move. But that takes more money. It takes like interacting with people. I actually w was going to try to like over a year ago, I had this idea and then I started making meetings with people and I realized how hard making a documentary is. Getting meetings with people and interviews with people and all these things. It's really hard to get people to say yes to that kind of stuff. And I realized I wasn't like an amazing director, you know, when it came to directing questions and all these things and I just felt like I needed more practice with filming as well yeah but that's still my dream I feel a little more confident now but I know I'm still in crisis mode of being like I'm not proud of the person I am like if I died tomorrow I would feel disappointed like with what I've done on this earth it's funny because I feel the same way I feel so like pulled into documentaries right now I don't even ever watch narrative movies anymore unless it's based on a true story I just am so much more fascinated by real life I have a recommendation for a documentary that I think is super interesting that you guys should watch by the way and Shelby you should too if you haven't watched okay, it okay what is it I watched it on an airplane TBT to getting to go on airplanes and also you I can't believe I just said TBT <laughs> but that's when I I'm not a big movie watcher for some reason I will only watch movies if I'm with other people because I only will pay attention if I know there's a reason to pay attention and when you're with other people the reason is so like afterwards you can have a dialogue about the movie yeah. and if I'm by myself I won't hold myself accountable to actually paying attention it's very weird honestly a lot of times even when I'm with other people I won't pay attention it's only if I'm in a theater or an airplane or yeah on an airplane so on airplanes is usually when i watch movies because it's like forcing you to just sit and not be distracted by stuff and so i watched this one documentary it's called all things must pass have you heard of it no what is it it's so good what it's I'm so good so it. it's about the rise and fall of tower records and tower oh, records was a record yes. store but yeah it's a cool story it's such a good documentary because it was just an iconic place that i didn't know about and i love that it shed this light on it that's the thing about documentaries is they're 
are documentaries on the most obscure, random topics, and they find a way to make it interesting. I never would have thought people would be so into Tiger King, but when you look at the story, like, it's kind of random when you think about it. Like, I think when Mm -hmm. we all first heard of it, we're like, what about this guy who has a weird zoo? I I don't know. But then you look at the story and you're like, okay, what's going on here? Documentaries feel more within grasp because, you know, when you think of making a movie and you need, like, this huge budget... But documentaries, Mm -hmm. you find something interesting and you can kind of pull it together in a bootleg sort of way. And I think that's the thing. I think, Shelby, like me and you, that's like what we need to do. It feels more within reach. Me and my friend Aaron have been talking about this documentary idea that's kind of like, God, I don't know if I want to put this on my channel. It's kind of out there. Yeah, a bit controversial. A bit, but... If I think we can do it in a tasteful way and I've been looking up and like I want to rent a red camera for a week and interview people and rent out a place on Pure Space and like make this great and I'm getting so excited about it because at this point I feel like if I'm making something and I'm putting my effort into a video it almost feels like a waste if it's not good enough to put into a portfolio you know if it's not good enough to Mm -hmm. be something that I would show people if I'm like pitching an idea. Even though it's yeah. still, sometimes you just got to be like, you know, you got to be consistent and upload often, but you also need to be making stuff that you're proud of. Yeah. And that, that was the thing with YouTube. It was like, I would just watch the clock and be like, can I be done? I started living YouTube like a nine to five and I still oh. sometimes do that. I'll I be sometimes like, okay, do too. I, I just drag yeah. myself to work on things and get stuff done. Well, sometimes you just have to. Sometimes there's just like, you know, you still have to make a thumbnail. That's not the most exciting thing ever. Yeah. No, that's totally important. And like, even fun things are going to be work sometimes and they're going to feel like that. But it, it had just, it's been a long time since I've made a video that I would just die for. That I would stay up till 2 a.m. filming or editing or mm. fly across the world to get a perfect shot for. That's what I've been trying to find the answer to. And I know at least now I've finally come to terms with it is documentaries. Like that is it. That is what I want to do. But I mean, that's it. I'm really happy that today, like I know a little bit more about what I want right now and just like where I'm at with that. And I am a lot happier. I'm a lot obviously, you know, just different from that girl five years ago that didn't know what she wanted or who she was super insecure no I feel like once you started doing your vlogs it was just like whoa I could even see it was like new people started to come into your life people really connected with it yeah it was interesting going from having already made videos for like five years and you know when you meet other youtubers or something they're just like oh hi nice to meet you to all of a sudden when I was doing something that I loved more and was more passionate about because I truly was when I started vlogs I'd wake up at 6 a.m to edit you know Mm -hmm. I'd miss social things just to edit and film and my my days I lived to vlog is that how you say it live to vlog not vlog to live yeah Mm -hmm. I was living to vlog you know and then it was interesting then doing something that you actually like and being accepted by people in hindsight I didn't realize at the time that I was afraid to be myself and I was afraid that people wouldn't like that, which is kind of sad. And that's something I'm really proud about the YouTube community today is people are themselves. I feel like when we were making videos a while ago, it's like everyone kind of, there were like people look up to the top people. And at that time, it, it was kind of like, Bethany Moda and I think that she genuinely liked making those videos at least it seemed like that's probably how she was so successful in it but then everyone kind of copied that style when 
it wasn't even like them. So that is essentially my story. But you know, life is still not perfect. It's always a journey. That's something to keep in mind. You know, it's all about the journey. And kind of understanding even in miserable times, it's like those sad times and things in that adversity, you know, makes you better. There's always still things that I'm working on and realizing about myself, whether it's friendships, relationships, confidence, travel, any of that. So that's kind of the point of Millennial Life Crisis is that feeling for anyone. So now that it's the end of the episode, we're going to take a look at a couple Millennial Life Crises that you guys sent in. So we have a couple that we're going to go over. And you can send in if you go to millenniallifepodcast at gmail.com. You guys can send yours in. The first one is from Cassie. She said, hey girls, I've been following you guys for a while on YouTube. I'm 30 now, but at 23-ish, I hit my quarter-life crisis. I was a babysitter in Woodland Hills and the Palisades, which are spots in LA if you guys don't know, commuting from Lake Arrowhead twice a day, which is a five to eight hour drive each day. That is so absurd. Yeah. I don't know how you survive. So she said, on food stamps, barely making much, and I didn't have much ambition or desire for a career, let alone my life ahead of me. I was super depressed. I had done a lot of traveling around the world and completed 3.5 years of college before I dropped out. Couldn't pass stats. I also struggled with stats, so I feel ya. I only did Algebra 3-4, so... At my lowest point, I had transferred to D.C. to work a 9 to 5, B2B, which is business to business, people that don't know, pyramid scheme sales job, getting spat in the face by angry business owners as I tried selling them Verizon phones. I decided to say fuck it and do a TV show called Naked and Afraid. She said, don't watch it. But if you do, no, it's not me. They spun me into a blonde bitch. I won't watch it, I promise. But honestly, that's so bold of you to go on that show. I would never. And it was the first episode. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge risk right there. Okay. It was the show's premiere and our episode got 4 million views worldwide. I got a lot of hate mail and it spun me into a really dark time. I thought I had nothing left and nothing to lose, but to attempt to pursue a dream I'd always had, to travel to every country in the world alone. So at 25, after a year and a half of planning, I departed on my trip around the world. I dubbed it Expedition 196, 196 being the amount of countries that she's traveled to. Long story short, I did it, broke two Guinness World Records. Gosh, I'm really bad at reading stuff, sorry. me too. And became the first woman on record to travel every country in the world. That is insane. Okay. And now have a lucrative career inspiring hundreds of thousands of people through speaking, social media, my book, etc. So that's basically what she did. She kind of hit a rock bottom. That's crazy. She was said, F it and traveled the world. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is that she said she didn't even have much desire or ambition. So it sounded like she hit rock bottom of like, was on food stamps, but also was sort of mentally just hit like kind of yeah. like not sure what to do about it. And then went on naked and afraid. What? Yeah. I mean, you can tell that Cassie has guts like to go on naked and afraid, like to go on reality TV in general sounds terrifying to me, let alone naked and afraid. A show that wasn't even out where you're naked and afraid in the wilderness. Where they don't blur your butt crack. That is is gutsy right there. 
That's totally. crazy. I actually have so many questions about her journey and I think it's so crazy. So we're gonna try and have Cassie on, by the way, you guys. I just think it's really cool how she goes over like, yeah, she hit a quarter life crisis and sounds like she was really struggling, but she took a couple huge risks that now have paid off. Like at 25, so she was our age when she decided to do this wow. traveling the world, but now she's turned it into a whole career. So really, she turned it around. Like that's super inspiring. Thank you for that submission. It's very inspiring and really cool. Now I'm going to read one we got from in A. Hansen. Sorry, I don't know. Doesn't say this guy's first name. Actually, is it even a guy? I don't really know. Okay. So here we go. Hi, Monica and Shelby. I'm in my 30s, but my crisis was not that long ago. I was a general manager for a company and worked for them for almost 15 years. I was unhappy at my job for a while, but continued to tell myself with every promotion and raise that the next one would make it better, that the next opportunity to grow within the company would help all my dreams come true. While I was meeting with the CEO to discuss my next growth opportunity, I realized nothing they could provide me would ultimately make me happy and gave them three months notice for them to help find a replacement. I then packed up my life and moved to a new state I had never even been to and lived off my savings for two months before looking for a new job. It was the most spur-of-the-moment decision I've ever made, but it was a great one. I now have a great new job in a completely different field, a beautiful home in my new state, and I'm finally happy. Where I am now is not where I ever thought I would be. When I hear people asking about my five to ten year plans, I never add my job or home to the list because those are rewards for achieving your goals, not the goal itself. My new goal is to live my life to be happy and make those around me happy and the rest will come. I also found that when you don't make goals for things you cannot control, but rather enjoy the rewards as they come, you feel less stressed and can enjoy the time rather than feel strangled by it. I feel since I had my quarter life crisis, I will be a bit more prepared for the midlife crisis in whatever form that will take. I love this advice he's giving. It kind of woke me up a little bit. I think of it kind of as myself and I think a lot of YouTubers or people who maybe are trying to do social media they have a goal to get a certain amount of views or a certain amount of followers but when you shift it as your goal is to make the best video you can or make it the better quality you oh know, my gosh things yeah. like that because you can control that you can't control how many views you're going to get like to an extent wow so you're a lot happier yeah. when you just think about my goal is to make the best video I can that is so even though that sounds yeah because if you make the best video you can it's gonna get more views yeah so making that the goal that's incredible I I mean I think what he's saying you can apply to anything I mean I just love that this guy or girl I actually don't know if it's a guy or girl took this crazy risk because so many people in that situation working 15 years at a company I don't know if I would have left if I were you but you realized you weren't fully happy and you deserve to be more than just complacent in your life. And so you took a huge risk and you're so much happier now. And I feel like maybe someone out there needed to hear that. Man, props to both of these people. And thank you for your submissions. Like, that's yeah. crazy. That makes me feel like my my crisis. Who am I sharing my crisis? Are you kidding me? So everyone keeps sending them in. Maybe we can make a Facebook group where people can submit theirs. Yeah, that would be you know? cool. Because yeah. then other people can read through them and like relate and stuff. I think a lot of people do that now. Dang, that would actually be really cool. Okay. Yeah, wait, let's make that. I'm going to okay. make it. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of Millennial Life Crisis. If you enjoyed it, it would help us out a lot if you go to the iTunes store and give us a rating of whatever you feel is right. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. We're really active there, following you guys, doing stories, replying to DMs, all that kind of stuff. So it's a great way to connect with us there if you want to do that. I put the merch up for sale again, the Millennial Life Crisis merch. Should I do that or no? Maybe not. No, I'm not going to do it. Um, Not no. yet, yeah. I'm not going to do it. 
I know you guys asked for it, but I'm not doing it yet. Nah. I'll, you know, I can bring it back with the push of a button, but I just wait sometimes. <laughs> I know. I know. But I kind of want to come out with a new style. Um, and that's going to be it. Next week, we are having one of our good friends, Sarah Dietschy, on. And we're going to be talking about things like dating, being a woman who is in a male-dominated industry, and what that's like. Because that's something all three of us have kind of gone through, too. So I'm really excited for next week's episode. So if you haven't subscribed, do so so that you don't miss that. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.